Good evening, folks. Uh, we've got a, uh, uh, a service tonight that uh, is, is hard to, to describe. Uh, it's, it's even hard to uh, participate in, in a, in a way. We're going to try to capture the Last Supper without really knowing what's next. Is that possible? Not really, is it? Because we know how the story ends. And uh, I, like probably most of you, would like to run right over to the empty tomb. But there's something very, very significant, most of most importance. We've got to stop at Calvary. We, we've got to stop there. Uh, folks, Calvary, the cross, is where we are confronted with the depth of our sin and the magnitude of our debt. So if we just rush past Calvary, if we run past the cross, we're really not going to understand the full power of the empty tomb anyway. So tonight we're going to have a, uh, a celebration uh, of the Last Supper, but uh, it's going to be a bit somber. And so we have, I've set it up in such a way, basically three areas, prophecy, agony, and community. So I'm going to read from Isaiah 53 of the prophecy of the suffering servant. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. For our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked. And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was 
and he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Father, we come in awe, in wonder at this description, maybe even a bit of shock and horror as we consider the destiny of your Son and our Savior. May these words embed themselves in our hearts so that we can see the love of Christ and then experience the power of his resurrection. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this great old hymn, uh, The Old Rugged Cross.
This is another neat song about the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross.
prophecy of Isaiah 53 and realistically all the other prophets in mind, we now turn to the beginning of their fulfillment. On this Maundy Thursday, there was much for Christ to accomplish this night he was betrayed, leading up to the Last Supper and after it. It's what we call the, the agony of Christ. The suffering the prophets foretold and the glory that was to come was now coming to pass. For what was spoken by the prophets concerning the Christ, it must be so. There was no other way. For the agony of Christ is the birth pains of our salvation. As the Apostle Peter words it, he says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Holy Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he, the Spirit, predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were not serving themselves but you, us, Christians, today. When they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Spirit sent from heaven, things that even angels long to look into. On this night Jesus was to be betrayed, he must be rejected, as we just read in Isaiah, he must be rejected by his friends, rejected by his followers, and ultimately be rejected by his very people. He must be abused, oppressed, beaten. He must be the man of sorrows and face the darkest night of his soul. He must be silent like a lamb before its slaughter and before its shearers. For he is our Passover lamb. And as John the Baptist foretold early in his ministry, here he is, the lamb of the world that will ultimately take its sin away, that will bear the sins of the people. So Christians, we have adopted for many years now, many, many hundreds, maybe even not thousands plus years, a part of our Christian calendar, this commemoration of the Holy Week, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, the resurrection. We've been doing this year after year as a way to remember this story, to celebrate it, to relive it, however you want to think about that. We do it so that our faith may rest on God fulfilling his words through the holy prophets, so that we ourselves may be established in the faith and teach it to our posterity and to our children. A little recap, but on this holy week, Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, declaring his kingship. And by middle of the week, he began to announce and declare that he would indeed be crucified. Openly says this, plainly. And then what appears to be Jesus' last public meal he was prepared for his upcoming burial by an unnamed woman when she poured expensive perfume upon his head. This caused great indignation in the disciples, but Jesus rebuked them, saying, No, you don't understand what just happened. Jesus says this, and he gives, he gives us a command concerning her and her faith. He says, When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's pause for prayer for a moment. Lord Jesus, we have fulfilled your command, and we honor your humble and unnamed servant. May this unnamed woman's example of love and commitment to you be our own, for your glory and your namesake. Amen. After this, Judas agrees to betray Jesus, he meets and he agrees for a measly 30 pieces of silver. 
The Last Supper then occurs. The false disciple is confirmed. Jesus tells them, one of you will betray me. And Judas, probably with an innocent look on his face, but with a deep smirk, that, that snarl that can't be seen on the face, looks at Jesus and goes, surely not me. And Christ looks right at him and goes, it is so. It's you, Judas. And yet it was in such a way that the other disciples didn't know. They didn't see it. They were still guessing at who it was. So he leaves. Jesus and the remaining disciples, they finish the meal, and then they're on an evening stroll. They're on a death march, if you will. Jesus is going down the last mile to his execution. They're headed towards the Garden of Gethsemane, where the Christ will face his destiny. And this is where our reading tonight picks up. I prayed this week about how to share this retelling of the story as we do every year, and I thought, you know, very little commentary is needed. We're very familiar with this story if you've been in the church long enough. So let's just read it tonight. Little to no commentary. Think about the words the prophet we just read, what he said. It amazes me that the people of the Jewish people today, they'll still say, no, this is not so, but clearly Jesus is the suffering servant. So let's hear it again. We're going to read from Matthew 26, beginning in verse 31. And we're going to read up until the moment when he's handed over to Pilate. And that's the hard part for us. Like Pastor Evan was saying, we know how this story ends. But imagine the confusion, the pain, the frustration. What would it have been like to really been there? To see the master taken and arrested. Think of all the hope that was dashed. You and I will never have to experience that. But it's important for us to, as best we can, embrace that darkness for the moment. Otherwise, the crucifixion may lose its significance to us. The cross may lose its allure when we understand what appeared to be great defeat would be the greatest victory the human race has ever known. For salvation was not accomplished in history until this pivotal moment 2,000 years ago. Reading out of Matthew's Gospel, picking up, they just left the Last Supper. It says this, Then Jesus said to them all, All of you, all of you, will fall away on account of me this very night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered, Though all men will fall away on account of you, yet I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, Peter, this night before the rooster crows, You, you, Peter, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Though I should die with you, yet I will not deny you. And then all the disciples spoke in the same manner. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray close by. And then he took with him Peter and, two, and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, he says this to his disciples, his closest friends, My soul, my soul was very sorrowful even to death. Wait here and keep watch with me. He turns to them and says, Guys, pray with me. 
I need to get with the Father. Pray with me. Pray for me. And he went a little farther, and Jesus falling on his face, he prayed, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then Jesus came back to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And note who he says this to. He says, and he says to Peter, So could you not keep watch with me but even one hour? Watch and pray, Peter, that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then Christ went away a second time and he prayed, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And this time he doesn't even wake them. It says in verse 44, So leaving them again, he went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep on now and take your rest. For look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Look, he who betrays me is at hand. And while Jesus was still speaking, it's this emphasis that as he's saying these very words, because Jesus being a prophet, as he's saying these very words, the crowds lurk into the garden with them. While he's still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came. And with him was a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who betrayed him had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I shall kiss is the man, seize him. He immediately came to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, or Buddy, it's good to see you, teacher. It's good to be here with you. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And immediately, and we know it's Peter according to the other Gospels, immediately Peter one of those who were with Christ stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place. For all those who take up the sword will perish with the sword. Do you not think I cannot now pray to my father and he will at once give me more than 12 legions of angels? But this is the important thing he says to him. Because if this, if the, but how then would scripture be fulfilled? Peter, you don't, you don't understand what you're doing. This, this has to happen, Peter. This has to happen. How then would scriptures be fulfilled? This must be so. And at that same moment, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against me as a thief to take me with swords and clubs? Daily I sat with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him from afar to the high priest's courtyard and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. The chief priests and the elders and the entire Sanhedrin searched for false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Yes, though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. 
And at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it again in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Do you answer nothing? And the prophet said he would be silent. What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, for it had to be fulfilled what the prophet said. The high priest said to him again, I adjure you by the living God. I'm telling you, you better tell the truth. Take an oath now. Swear to me to tell the truth. Tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said it correctly. You've said it so. But I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He is referring to Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man receives the kingdom from the Father, the Ancient of Days. Verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has uttered blasphemy. What further need do we have for witnesses? See, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you all think? And they answered, He is guilty unto death. Then they spat in his face, and they struck him. And others slapped him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophecy to us, you Christ." Who is it that struck you? When we read the prophets where they describe some of this event, it says they plucked his beard out, they spit on his face, they put the crown of thorns on his head. They brutalized the Lord Jesus Christ and humiliated him. And all during this time, it says, now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. And a girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you're saying. That's not true. Then when he went out into the porch, another girl saw him and said to those who were with him there, this man was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, like swearing as Jesus was commanded to swear and tell the truth. Here, Peter does it willingly. Swearing, I swear, I do not know this man. And after a while, those who stood by came to Peter and said, Surely you are also one of them, for your Galilean accent betrays you. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself, and he swore, I do not know this man. Then immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Luke's gospel records it. I believe it's Luke's gospel where it says at that moment, Peter looks through the window and connected eyes with the Lord Jesus. Could you imagine that moment of utter heartbreak? Jesus is getting brutalized, beaten, spit on, slapped around. And here you are saying, I don't know this guy. I don't know the good teacher. I don't know my master. It says he went out and wept bitterly. And when the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and handed him over to Pontius Pilate, the governor. I had a random thought this afternoon about this whole Monday, Thursday evening, the night Jesus was to be betrayed, and I just was thinking through myself two ideas, a little off the cuff, so bear with me. 
because it's hard to articulate them, but do you remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and at the very end of that temptation it says Satan waited for an opportune time to come against him? I believe this was that time. This was that time for Christ. And with that in thought, I was also wondering, Jesus, the eternal word of God, knowing all things, being a prophet, whatever that's like for Jesus, I wonder from the day he was old enough to remember whatever that was like being fully God and fully man, knowing this day would come, for it had to be fulfilled. I wonder if Jesus had an internal calendar or clock where he was like, three years, 60, you know, 20 days, and 10 minutes from now, this is going to happen. He knew the day of his departure. It was going to pass. And yet he lived for the will of the Father. I wonder what that's like to really live knowing that your day is coming like that. Just a thought. Just a thought. How did Jesus, knowing his day was coming, that this had to happen, and how he lived in light of that. Just a thought for you tonight, but much had to happen on this night that Jesus would be betrayed. And as Christians, we've been celebrating and retelling the same story pretty much since the days after it happened, 2,000 years in the telling. So let us continue to worship, reflect upon these things, and really connect with our Savior and the agony he went through.
The Lord's Supper is recorded in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. John would record the foot washing. So as Adam has so beautifully explained, it's, there was a lot going on this night so many years ago. The Jewish council could not find satisfaction. The Sanhedrin found themselves in a dilemma. So they refer to Pilate. Pilate really doesn't want anything to do with it. So after some questioning, he gets passed on to Herod. Herod said, not my job, not my responsibility. Why don't you go back to Pilate? So we see our Lord suffering through a night of mockery. Three different trials, four different trials, all night. But he did something, as I started with the, with the account, he did something that would, was pivotal in what was going to happen on the cross. And it was such an important occasion, such an important thing they did, that it was passed on down through the centuries as a way of remembering all of this. So when we take the cup, when we take the loaf, the bread, and the juice, we're remembering everything. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's symbolic. It represents, it, it's a portrait of everything that was going to happen on that night. And Jesus says this in the Gospel of Luke, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, now remember, there would have been a Passover meal. He had clearly told his disciples to go to this place and prepare the meal. So they would have had the official Jewish Passover meal before them. And out of that meal... He then took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among you, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup they had after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant. Here it is. It's the new covenant in my blood. Wow. Wow. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. We know that they would do this. They would leave. The scripture even says uh, they got up and as they went, they sang a hymn. And that's where we join Adam's story in the agony of Christ. But you see, we have looked at the prophecy and we've looked at the agony. Now we look at the community. That's us the body of Christ, the church. 
And as I said, this, this moment was so important, it would be passed down. And so I'm going to lead us into communion by reading the Apostle Paul's account to a church. And this is the way he begins this in writing to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me and verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. trips to the to Israel I've stood in that upper room and I've tried my best to capture that night and I just can't I've walked to the Mount of Olives and I've tried to, to picture the Roman soldiers coming And, and the arrest, the betrayal, the arrest. I've been to the places of the trial. I've walked the Via Della Rosa. And guys, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. I want to. I want to get it more and more every day. To understand why this Jesus the Son of God would do that for Elvin Dillard. Jesus loves you. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Let's go quietly. Let's go in peace. Because Sunday's coming.